Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Joining me in this festive season of snow is the most festive of all our writers, Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing in this snowy weather? Good, good. That's it. Not even the snow can stop us. We're like the post office, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, No. through sleet or snow, uh, we continue to podcast. Uh, also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, I know you actually I did actually uh, have to go through the snow a little bit this week. How are you doing? How are you holding up in the in the blizzard? I'm doing okay. It's cold outside, but my takes are hot. Okay, well, we got uh, that's that's a that's a bold statement. Let's see if you back it up today. Uh, we will talk about the winter meetings and some of the other uh, recent moves the Royals have made. The winter meetings have concluded, and while there was significantly more activity around baseball than last year's winter meetings. The Royals, as expected, were pretty quiet. Uh, there were some trade rumors floated about about lefty reliever Tim Hill, specifically the Oakland Athletics. The New York Yankees also said to be interested in him. They did pick up a player in the Rule 5 draft, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But there were some interesting new rumors about Whit Merrifield, who of course is the, one, the most probably the most valuable asset the Royals have right now. Previously, it had been reported that the Cubs were probably the team most interested in the All-Star second baseman, but... Last week, according to MLB Network reporter Mark Feinsand, the Padres were also trying to swing a deal for Merrifield. Now, it doesn't sound necessarily like the two sides were at all close to a deal. Uh, we don't really have any names on who the, the Royals might be interested in. But uh, And MLB.com reporter Jeffrey Flanagan did kind of call it remote. But the Padres, unlike the Cubs, have a very deep farm system and could make for kind of an interesting trade partner. So, Sean... What was your reaction to the rumor that the Padres might be interested in someone like Whit Merrifield? And do you see something like that happening? I don't know. I mean, I hate to just go back to our, the same answer we've been given every time, but I mean, it's it remains to be seen if any trade actually ever happens with Merrifield. I mean, there's conceivably, I don't know, 15, 16 teams in the league, whatever, however many teams you want to consider are quote unquote competing. Um, that you know could use Merrifield. I'm not sure there's anybody that's just so stacked at second base or any of the outfield positions that they don't need someone who's you know conceivably a two, three, four win player um, for fairly cheap, uh, especially concerning some of the free agent signings this winter. Um, but you know, I think I think a tweet that says you know blank team is interested in Merrifield is a generic enough tweet that it, it could be you know a, a lot of teams. So I don't buy into that. There's any fire with the smoke that Merrifield and the Padres have any sort of uh, up, you know pending um, marriage. I, I think it's more so that it's you know just finding suitors for Merrifield, and there are plenty. So anybody interested in him really. Well, the, the tweet from, from Feinstein did say that they had discussed it. So, I, I mean, it's more than just like, oh, they're interested. Yeah, yeah. But I, but but I, I do mean, agree. Right. That's what I mean, though, is that I'm sure that they've had discussions, the Royals have had discussions with many teams about Merrifield. And Moore has, you know, from everything that's been reported about uh, Moore, it's that he's turned down or at least put too high of a bar um, that makes it kind of – uh, not impossible, but it's just a very, very high bar for Merrifield to be traded and almost an impossibly high one. So I'm sure they've had discussions with dozens of teams, you know, maybe not dozens, but they've had several teams they've had discussion with. But again, I don't ultimately see anything happening with him. There was also a, a reporter, Scott Miller, who I think does work for Sirius XM and Turner Sports. And he said that the pod, he also reiterated that the Padres had, had liked Whit Merrifield for a long time. I think it's easy to see why, you know, they're a cost conscious club. 
they have a need at second base where Ian Kinsler is kind of the incumbent who's on his last legs of his career. And, of course, Merrifield could play second base, but he could also fill in the outfield as well. Um, and the interesting note that he, that Scott Miller talked about is that, the, I guess, the Padres were trying to push Will Myers on the Royals, uh, which Myers uh, hasn't been a terrible player. He's been an okay player, but he has kind of a, a little bit of an owner's contract. Um, so I don't know if I necessarily see that as a good fit. But are there players in the system, you think, that, the Royals uh, that would make them a particularly good fit if somehow the Royals did kind of say, okay, we're willing to listen. What do you got? Uh, what kind of players would the Royals be interested in the farm system? Yeah. Farm I mean, system? yeah. I mean, the Padres obviously have one of the best systems out there. Um, and we've seen a whole bunch of that kind of on its way up as some of the guys been promoted, but they've still got a bunch of talent in there. I mean, they've got at least five top 100 prospects, maybe more, um, probably likely more, just depending on how all the offseason ranks pull out. But, um, I mean, the crown jewel of that system is McKenzie Gore, who's probably not going to work um, for Merrifield, although it would be nice. That's the kind of prospect you would you would target for Merrifield. Um, but really they've got a couple guys like Taylor Trammell, who they just traded for from the Reds. Um, he's – uh, super athletic outfielder, um, still fairly young. He's in double A. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, the Royals kind of their type that you could see. Um, Xavier Edwards, another super fast guy that they've got that's up the middle. Um, he's a short, he's a shortstop, uh, shortstop second baseman. Um, oh, he, they just traded. Is he the one that they just traded to the Rays? Oh yeah. Duh. I'm totally yeah. blanking on that. Yes. Right. Right. So, not Xavier Edwards. Uh, that's not who I meant to say. I actually meant to say his uh, Estuary Ruiz. Actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they <laughs> are, are them. Uh, but I think that they've got guys that could get there for sure just because their system is so good. And they actually have a lot of that kind of up-the-middle talent. Um, they've got, like like I said, Trammell, CJ Ed- Abrams, who I don't think they'll trade, but um, he was the fourth overall pick. Uh, for, no, the third overall pick, I think. Well, fourth, maybe, yeah, fourth, fourth. after uh... – yeah, uh, Rushman, Witt, and Vaughn. Yeah, um, and then, like I said, uh, they've got Luis Campasso, Hudson Pop. I mean, they've got a bunch of guys that are right there um, that you could see it happening. I- I'm not sure if it will happen, but they do have one of the better systems that, you know, if if you were going to pick a, a, a team that you'd want them to go to, it would be a team like the Padres or the Dodgers or the Rays um, who have a bunch of talent in their system that, you know, pick any of the top ten guys – they're going to arguably be better than the top, you know, maybe 20 guys in a lot of other systems. So, you know, Matthew, I was a bit surprised that Flanagan was so quick to dismiss the rumor um, saying that Dayton Moore was going to hang on to his core players. You know, Moore, I think, has publicly seemed to really embrace what Merrifield and say he's going to stay with the team. On the other hand, he's also said that no one is untouchable for the right kind of deal. So does a trade rumor like this really move the needle for you at all in your kind of thinking about how likely it is that Whit Merrifield gets traded this offseason? Um, I think slightly. Not a lot, but slightly. Um, I think, and it's because what, you know, you're both talking talking about earlier, there's a lot of teams that are fits for Whit Merrifield. Pretty much any contender, right? And so when we have, oh, there's interest about, to where, about Merrifield, or interest in Merrifield, rather, yeah, obviously. Every team could use Whit Merrifield. Literally everyone. He could play a whole bunch of positions. He's, you know, he's good um, at multiple positions, you know, if not if not the best defender, you know, he's, he's you know, serviceable at six positions, right? Um, any 
contender can use someone like Whit Merrifield. What I think is interesting is that it's not just a contender or somebody inquired about Merrifield, but it is a specific team, the San Diego Padres. I think that whenever you get rumors where there's specific teams mentioned, like the Chicago Cubs multiple times or the San Diego Padres, I think that's more smoke there um, than just, you know, um, a mystery team inquiring about Merrifield. But that's about it. Um, I, I don't think that the Royals are, you know, apt to take the um, Will Myers salary in the trade. Although if they did so, they would absolutely have won the Will Myers trade. No questions asked um, because they got him back. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I personally am intrigued um, with C.J. Abrams. Uh, C.J. Abrams was uh, the sixth overall pick in last year's draft. He was the other, you know, top shortstop in the draft that uh, I, if if I recall correctly, had uh, some sometimes ties to the Royals. Uh, There's some rumors, at least, that the Royals are at least interested in him. Um, but also, he's really far away, and that doesn't really jive with what Moore would want for a trade for Merrifield. So, I don't know about this specific deal, but the fact that it's the Padres and not a mystery team, I think is it moves a little, moves the needle just a, a wee bit. Yeah. You know, I like the hearing that there are specific teams out there, that there's a market for him. I mean, like for a long time, it seemed like the only really substantive rumor we'd heard about was the Cubs. And so you hear, Oh yeah, every team should be interested in what Merrifield, but if it's, if it really is an actuality, just one team or maybe another team that really only has serious interest you're probably not going to get not going to get bowled away with that big offer you're looking for. But if you do get start getting other teams interested, uh, and and are seriously interested enough that the, that rumors, you know, and I think rumors happen when either someone is trying to leak this or you know scouting departments are getting um, contacted. You know, hey, let's find out what we can about some of the guys in their system. Uh, you know, then I think that shows that there is maybe a little bit the, the market for him is expanding a little bit. And that, I think, does at least, you know, open up the possibility a little bit. Now, you know, I think Flanagan's pretty tied in with the organization. And if he says it's a pretty remote chance of happening, it's probably a pretty remote chance of happening. And I think the Royals are keeping that door open in case they do get blown away. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of go. I've always gone back and forth on this. Sometimes I feel like Dayton Moore is looking for kind of a reason to trade with Merrifield. Like uh, he wants to get blown away and wants to get that great offer. And other times I feel like, yeah, he just doesn't want to trade him at all. And it's just kind of, I never say never, but, but uh, you know, we're not going to trade with Merrifield. So we'll have to see. I, you know, he didn't get traded at the winter meetings. The Royals typically don't do a lot of moves at the winter meetings. Usually they kind of lay the foundation for later in the off season. And that's kind of the, the, the gist of what I've gotten from the articles from Jeffrey Flanagan, Lynn Worthy and Alec Lewis, who are all covering the team in the winter meetings. They're kind of just laying the foundation. So we'll see if the team ends up making any more moves here in the next few weeks. Uh, now, the meetings did conclude with at least one Royals transaction. On Thursday, the winter meetings ended with the winter, the Rule 5 draft, which is kind of like, it's a it's, it's weird. It's such a big deal among baseball diehards, and like it's like not on the radar at all for uh, all other sports fans. But the Royals, uh, for the third year in a row, they acquired a pitcher from the Tampa Bay Rays two years ago. It was Birch Smith last year. It was uh, Sam McWilliams, uh, who you probably don't remember because he didn't make the team. This year, it was Stephen Woods. Woods is a 24-year-old right-hander who originally began in the San Francisco Giants organization. Uh, he was drafted out in the eighth round out of the University of Albany. He was later traded to the Rays in the Evan Longoria deal, but immediately missed the entire 2018 season with an injury. Last year, he came back to pitch in high A-ball and had a 1.88 ERA with 8.2 strikeouts in per nine innings and 86 and a thirds innings. 
as a starting pitcher. Matthew, what was kind of your take on the Woods pickup? Uh, and do you expect him to be, uh, have a good shot at making this team? I mean, I think he has a chance to make the team in the bullpen, if only because the bullpen is uh, just, you know, crickets and, you know, a, a hairball just in the corner. It's, it's you know, there's not a lot of, of bodies who are going to put together a good bullpen and the depth that's required to make a good pin, bullpen over the course of the year, right? It's not like you just use 12 guys and in your pitching staff or 13 guys, however many, and then it's done. You're going to need, you know, 20, 25 guys uh, in your organization. So I think he could be one of those guys, certainly. Um, I do think he's kind of the guy that you want to pick up. Um, you know, he had some injury issues and he might otherwise have uh, not been unprotected in the drafts. You know, that's the kind of guy that you want to get. You know, the Rule 5 draft is sort of an exercise in buying low. Um, so you want to buy low with him. Um, and I do like that, you know, unlike Birch Smith, um, which they acquired from the Rule 5 draft a couple of years ago, um, or via trade with another team, which is basically the same thing. Um, Stephen Woods Jr. is uh, 24. He turns 25 on June 10th. Um, so that's on a young age uh, for for the Rule 5. You know, certainly not the youngest. Uh, the Royals got Brad Keller when he was 22. Um, but that's, I think, a better use of your pick than picking someone who's 27 or 28 and hoping he'll stick, you know. Um, picking someone who's younger and who has, you know, maybe the opportunity to grow a little bit. Um you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. And the Royals are definitely in the uh, throw stuff at the wall and hope it sticks phase of the rebuild. So there's really no downside to this at all. Yeah, Woods is kind of off my radar. Not that I'm like that clued in or anything, but and and a lot of these guys are going to be off the radar because it's the Rule 5 draft and these are guys that weren't protected by other clubs. So certainly, don't you know, you can find a lot of good players that are off the radar. Uh, but certainly there's some maybe some kind of interesting names out there, Sean. What were some of the names you were looking at and hoping the Royals could get? Um, the two guys were pretty chalk off the board, Ronnie Garcia and Brandon Bailey. Um, I took Brandon, I think I took Brandon Bailey in the, our, um, our expansion draft that David Lesky and I did, um, at, with you as a commissioner, I think he ended up on my team. Um, those two guys I think were like the top two and everybody kind of saw it coming. Um, Sterling Sharp was another guy that got a lot of heat, uh, just kind of out the question kind of who would take him. Uh, the Marlins end up taking him. Uh, he came from the Nationals. Other than that, I don't know. I thought it was fairly quiet. Um, there wasn't anybody that was like too crazy. The Royals, uh, Royals didn't lose anybody, right? I'm, no, they didn't lose a single person. Okay. That's right. That's what I was thinking. Have we lost anybody? Obviously, last year lost Luciano. I don't remember if the Royals lost anybody in seventeen. Or yeah. Anyways. Probably says something about our organizational um, depth that we don't lose anyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, I, you know, I was I was talking about this on Twitter on how sad it is that the Rule Five draft used to actually be pretty good. Um, that's where a lot of that is coming from. Um, <clears throat> uh, gosh, that's why it would come. That, that's why uh, like the Sorias and the uh, whatever his name is for the twins for uh, Santana's all those kind of guys came out is because of that um but but they do you're saying that because they changed the rule was it yeah, four exactly. or five years ago that they changed yeah. the eligibility rules a little bit i think it was 2000 maybe it was 2006 it wasn't even, it was like a while ago it feels like um that they did that to where they basically added a year mm-hmm. to eligibility i think it was right after soria came out yeah, yeah so that's so 
at one point it was actually really great because you could get these young guys that like were legit prospects but now it's kind of just like you know it's the misfit toys and of course sometimes people hit um like brad keller has but i don't know i wish they would go to the older system and of course they did it all under the guise of team control um you know extending player control for a year so i don't know it's a fun affair you're right for kind of us but they were i remember kylie mcdaniel fancraft was talking about how um like there were GMs and executives for teams, maybe not GMs, but like scouts and executives for teams who were just like sitting there waiting for it to end. And as soon as it ended, they got up and went to their planes. Like they were just like had no interest in it, but they had to be there just in case. Yeah. Well, I was a l- little bit surprised. I mean, like you said, it's it's become harder and harder to find talent. But on the other hand, they're expanding rosters to 26 next year. You've got a bunch of teams that are obviously tanking, don't really care about wins and losses. And yet only 11 players were selected in the draft. Uh, you know, many teams passing. Um, the Orioles were the only team that even selected anyone in the second round. Uh, you know, is that a little surprising? Because, you know, you feel like, okay, there aren't a lot of great, there isn't a lot of great talent here. But, you know, the, the, and the, it's gotten harder to find players. But there have been some decent players, like Brad Keller was taken, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a couple years ago. You know, Odebel Herrera is another kind of notable, I guess, you know, turned into a starter there for a couple years that ended up becoming a useful player. I think you can certainly find some, some relievers. I think that's always a, you know, and then with the way teams need bullpen guys, um, you know, it seems like you could look and try to find an arm. Certainly were some guys that can throw hard that were available in the draft. I know. Were you a little surprised that there weren't more, more guys taken? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there were a lot of passes early on. It, it felt like, it felt like the first round, there's pretty good action. The first, round of the first phase there's pretty good action but then after that it gets pretty quiet but yeah i mean it was like right after the royals took uh woods it just got like super quiet and a lot of passes and stuff um so i thought there'd be a lot of other candidates taken too just a lot of kind of random guys so baseball america had a 11 once prominent unprotected prospects list and they basically eliminated everybody but one guy it's now a one person list and it's wander javier of the twins uh oh, yeah. Well, so yeah, never, well, I did see some lists had Brady Aiken, who isn't really a prospect anymore, but former number one overall pick, uh, but he just hasn't pitched at all. Like, it'd be ridiculous to bring him up to the major league level at this point. But, uh, yeah, I, I, Starling, Sterling Sharp is the guy that really stood out to me. And, of course, he was selected one pick before the Royals had a chance to draft. Uh, so the Royals, uh, I guess, didn't really have a shot at him, although you can always trade picks in the in the uh, yeah. Rule 5 draft, so they could have trade, made it, you know, worked out a trade with, like, the Orioles or something. But, uh, you know, he looks like a guy that he's a sinker baller. Uh, he kind of has a nice, you know, uh, kind of wiry frame. Looks like he can get good movement on the ball. Uh, I think he's a guy that kind of could step up, step in and be like Brad Keller, where he's a long reliever immediately and then turns into a starting pitcher. Uh, Danny Jimenez, I know, is a guy that uh, out of the Blue Jays organization, uh, Les, David Lesky really liked him a lot. I think he's... Uh, one of those guys that kind of is the perfect marriage of stuff and results uh, as far as upper levels that you don't see that often in the Rule 5 draft. So he's kind of an interesting name that uh, I think he ended up getting taken later in the draft. But, yeah, there wasn't like there wasn't a whole lot of names. After that, it seemed like there was just a lot of guys with Woods profile, you know, hard thrower, injury problems, can't, you know, has trouble throwing strikes. And, like, there's, yeah. there's like, two dozen, if not more than that, uh, guys like that. And Yeah, two guys. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no it just seems like whatever team can kind of, you know, work with them in spring training and, and it's going to be on the pitching coach to kind of unleash that potential. Yeah. Um, it, it was two guys in the white Sox system. I like that's, that's who I can, that's who it was. Alec Hansen. Oh yeah. Hansen. Yeah. Uh, was, went to Oklahoma and he was taken by the white Sox. He was, 
one time, I mean, he was a top 40 prospect. I remember that. Um, and then he was a, he was a fairly high draft. Pro- I think he was a top 10 draft prospect at one time. They kind of fell to the second round. Um, and then same thing with uh, Spencer Adams. Uh, was another guy that I really, really liked coming out of the draft. Gosh, I can't believe it's been like five years since that. Um, what was that? Yeah, 2014. He also was the second round pick by the White Sox. Um, and another guy that was a top 100 prospect at one point, but just kind of same thing. Um, didn't really develop. And so I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's the big thing. Like there's just so many of these guys that are just strike thrower or non-strike throwers with like really high velocity. It's like, okay, you could find those anywhere. Yeah. Um, and well, like I said, you know, like Matthew said, like we'll see. He'll have a shot at the bullpen, I imagine. And uh, it'll really just kind of kind of, you know, come down to what the pitching staff can do with him uh, in Arizona. Um other guys that could be part of that pitching staff, uh, the Royals brought in t- uh, two more pitchers uh, in the fold. Uh, one of them was Jesse Hahn, who was with the team already, but they did re-sign him. They had non-tendered him back in December. They brought him back on a major league deal worth uh, $600,000, I think it was. Uh, Hahn only pitched four and a two-thirds innings for the Royals after they acquired him from Oakland in the Brandon Moss deal, but he did finally return from injury this, this past September, and the Royals could use some arms. So, Matthew... How hyped are you for the Jesse Hahn acquisition? Oh boy, um, I think I'm I'm on the Chris Medlin level of uh, Jesse Hahn after Chris Medlin was injured the first year. Um, I yeah, I, he could be something, but most likely he's you know he's not going to end up to be you know particularly valuable. Um, He's 30 years old. He's had injury problems. He hasn't, uh, you know, really pitched. Uh, he didn't pitch before the four innings he pitched this year. The previous innings he pitched was in 2017 um, with the Athletics, and he had a 5.3 ERA. Uh, granted, the lower FIP, which is nice to see, but still, um, not really at all. I think I'm more hyped about Stephen Woods than I am about Jesse Hunt. Is Jesse Hahn just Nate Carnes in like a mustache? Like it seems like pretty much the same profile. Like, hey, he was good early in his career, bounced around. They both pitched for Tampa Bay at one point. I I, I think maybe at one point they just kind of decided to play a big trick on the Royals and say, yeah, yeah it's the same guy. Um, he's got the he's oh, go got ahead. the Jesse Hahn, Chris Medlin, Nate Carnes kind of trio of you know guy who used to be good. Uh, injuries is about thirty. Yeah, coming back, he's you know. I've I've seen this movie before. Sean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's I'm I'm pretty certain it's Jesse Hahn, Nate Carnes, and Brett Anderson are all just like swapping, like they're all just pretending to be this different people, but it's the same guy. I mean, they're all Jesse Hahn. Sometimes he's Brett Anderson for the Dodgers, and he just goes around because these guys are all just the exact same player. Well, but it's interesting. Fun. You know, Anderson keeps getting major league deals. I know. Does, does Hahn get a major league deal from any other team? Because he seemed like a minor league contract guy to me he's missed the last two years um i don't know it seems like someone like the rays would give a shot at or like you know he would go to the astros and be really good for whatever reason like they just stick him in the bullpen and he'd be healthy and good um someone had said that hans issue uh he really wanted a little bit more stability was his thing where Mm. it wasn't that it wasn't that he wasn't being used he was in the bullpen was the issue he didn't like you know having to go two or three back-to-back days he liked the five days of rest so that's kind of what kind of uh derailed them when they kind of 
messed around the the athletics did um especially in the minors but no i don't know i, I don't know if he gets a major league contract from anybody other than the royals or, or if he does i mean it's what was it six hundred thousand? yeah so it's not which like i'm not yeah i'm not gonna quibble over the yeah. amount that that trifling in baseball but i, yeah, I just him i he's gonna you know it's a, it's a roster spot they have to give to him and not that they are just loaded with roster you know guys that need to take up roster spots i just thought it was a little curious yeah, yeah. that he got a major league deal uh, you know the other thing is, you know, it's interesting you talk about him being, you know, not liking the bullpen because it seems like that would be the best role for him. I mean, he's a starter who doesn't really strike out a lot of guys who's had some injury problems. And usually with guys like that, you end up sticking him in the bullpen to get keep him healthier. He did have a velocity bump, uh, you know, in a small sample in September. Uh, but he was getting it up to like 95, which, you know, he doesn't really throw that hard as a starter. So I wonder if that ends up being kind of his role with the Royals. They don't. They definitely need a reliever more than they need a starter. Um, with some, especially some of these young arms coming up. So, uh, he may not like that role, but he uh, that's what he end up may end up doing for the Royals this upcoming year. Uh, also in the bullpen this year, at least getting a, trying out for the bullpen, will be Trevor Rosenthal. Rosenthal is a former Cardinals All Star reliever. Uh, the Royals signed him to a minor league deal. Uh, his best season came in 2015 when he saved 48 games with a 2.10 ERA and was an All Star that year. But he had Tommy John surgery and missed the entire 2018 season and came back last year in his first year and really struggled badly uh, with the Washington Nationals he had over and also the Detroit Tigers after he was let go. Overall, he had a, he had a 13.50 ERA with uh, really a crazy uh, 20, was it 26 walks in 15 and third innings. He's a local kid from Lee Summit West High School. He can throw 100 miles per hour. So, Matthew, is it was it worth the risk to bring in Tre- Trevor Rosenthal? Uh, well, first of all, in our SB Nation, Sam, I tried to do the same thing, and I was in charge of the Royals, so I'd sign off on this deal. I tried to do it myself in our fake league. Um, I think it's this is exactly the kind of, of deal you were looking for. I mean, Rosenthal's not super old. He's not even 30 yet. He turns 30 in May. Um, he, like you said, has good velocity. He's always you know, been pretty good before 2019 and you know, before his Tommy John surgery. Um, he had one season with an ERA above 3.4, just one. Um, and coming off the Tommy John surgery, you know, we've seen players sort of struggle initially as they come back from it. Um, their first year, just, you know, getting the feel for their pitches back and then sort of rebound. So he's like the platonic ideal of a rebound candidate. And the fact that he's on, um, you know, a minor league deal is good. Um, I, th- I think, I think his big league salary if he makes a team is something like two million dollars which you know is it's fine i think this is again i think this is exactly the kind of deal that that you know you look to do and if he's not very good you can just cut him in spring training and that's that sean is trevor rosenthal the royals all-star representative this season as a, as a closer you know i don't i'm not even sure if he can quite reach uh, mike mcdougall level of um in, inferiority uh, because I don't know, like we've, I'm sure all of us have thought like, man, they should give Trevor Rosenthal a shot. Now it's finally come around. And I wonder if we're that <laughs> excited about it. Um, gosh, dang it. And now I'm totally blanking. There was another guy for years. We're like, Oh, this guy has to be a Royal. And then finally he is a Royal. Billy and, Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that that's one. God, there was someone else. Oh, well. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, it's obviously worth a shot and it's a pretty low, costs and everything same thing with jesse hahn worth a shot so i think the Royals are doing a lot of the right moves in that sense where they're taking some flyers on guys um but you know we'll see how it, we'll see how it plays out 
Yeah, I think you'd, you'd certainly rather have these kind of transactions than like giving Bra- uh, Brad Boxberger, you know, a million dollars to and a guaranteed contract to kind of mess around for two and a half months before you figure out he's not any good. So, you know, Rosenthal, there's pretty much no downside with this move, I would say. And, uh, you know, if he's if he can throw some strikes in spring training, then you've got an in- interesting reliever who, you know, if he's if he's decent, um, you know, becomes an asset that you can either flip or, or maybe hold on to. Um, and so, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for a team like the Royals. He's on the right side of 30. He's not quite 30 years old. So, you know, you feel like he has some innings left in him. And I think another year removed from Tom's surgery will probably help with his command a little bit. We'll see. Uh, he's always struggled with that a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, he's worked with Mike Matheny before, too. So there's some familiarity there as well. So, yeah, I, kinda, I really uh, like that move. I think it's Jeff Francoeur is who I was thinking of. Remember for all the time oh, the yeah. comments? Because he, I think he was signed around the time when Dayton Moore was over there, and then just kind of always seemed to be like a Royals esque player. Then they finally get him, <laughs> and he turns into Jeff. Yeah. He's the Jeff Francoeur we all know him up. So like if you say and, his name three times, so he'll appear at Kauffman Stadium. Well, uh, you know, speaking of kind of broken down relievers who've had Tommy John surgery, Matthew uh, Dayton Moore was asked about Greg Holland, and you know he said i think you know he was just like oh yeah we'll uh, we'll keep that door open and we'll you know we're open to exploring something with him not i don't think any you know committing to anything like that but uh would you be interested in any re- reunion at this point with greg holland <laughs> why not it'll be the royals are going to be bad might as well have some fun right <laughs> yeah it, and when well, he's going to be i think a little bit older he's with 34 years old so probably not quite the upside but um yeah, I mean, bring in, bring in all the reclamation projects, really, you know, and that's that's what you do in a rebuild. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about whether the Royals are wasting our time. Yeah. Matthew, last uh, week you took the Royals to task with an article titled, Are the Royals Wasting Our Time? You want to explain a little bit why you decided to question the rebuild and how it's going? Yeah, um, you know, as far as questioning the entire rebuild, uh, I, I didn't really go quite that far. I think I mentioned uh, later in the article that um, the reason the Royals will win or lose um, this rebuild, um, whether or not it'll be successful or not, um, won't really have to do with the Royals trading anybody or not trading anybody. That's going to come down to player development. Um, if they don't, you know, wraps. Um, if they don't, if they don't get it, you know, to a, a good spot, then nothing really matters, and we should just eat Arby's. Uh, the Royals currently are in. Um, is that there are really two ways of uh, trying to succeed. Um, you can either succeed now, which is you know what the Washington Nationals did by signing Steven Strasburg for you know seven years and two hundred forty-five million dollars, or you can try to succeed later, which is what the Royals did when they traded Zach Granke for uh, Alcides Escobar and Lorenzo Cain and Jake Odorizzi. Um, so those are really the only two options, and especially with a team like the Royals who don't really have a lot of payroll wiggle room, um, they have to sort of pick one. They have to pick whether or not they're going for it or whether or not they are trying to win later. And what the Royals are really kind of doing now is is neither of them. So they've got um, multiple uh, assets, not just Whit Merrifield. They've got Danny Duffy. They've got Salvador Perez. Um, you know, those those three, um, you know, and arguably uh, even Jorge Soler, you know, I think it's a good idea to extend him, but you could certainly make a decent case that the Royals should trade Jorge Soler, you know, while he's hot. And that's, you know, that's a perfectly fine idea. And I, it's not a bad idea at all. Um, 
so they've got some you know players who are in their upper 20s or early 30s um, that are going to be under contract for the next couple of years. Um, and the Royals are not going to be any good for the next couple of years, right? They're, they're probably going to be really bad in 2020, maybe not quite as bad. Um, in 2021, you know, maybe they might be better. Maybe they might, you know, scratch 500, but I don't think anybody's really thinking that they're going to be a playoff team in 2021. So you have these players under contract for the next two years, you know, um, they're not helping the team now. And when they become free agents, the Royals aren't going to be able to get, um, you know, give them qualifying offers like they did with Hosmer, uh, and Kane and Moose. Um, they're going to be a little older. Um, so the Royals, have the option to, tr- to trade these guys, at least trade one of them or, you know, entertain it, uh, entertain the idea. And they're not really doing that. And then they're also not trying to win now because they're still slashing payroll. Um, Jeffrey Flanagan had a, had a tweet where he said that Dave Moore said payroll is estimated to be 75 to $85 million and won't rise significantly. Um, you know, so they're not really trying to win now either, you know, and I don't think it's a smart idea to go out and spend $50 million to try to move you from 100 wins to, you know, or 100 losses to 90 losses or whatever. But it's something that you could do. Uh, and the Royals are sort of straddling the line, the line and not really doing either. And I think the difference between... Um, you know, trading them and not trading them is not going to be the success or the failure of the rebuild, but it could be whether or not the rebuild, um, you know, culminates in a playoff in 2023 or 2025. You know, it could be like a two year um, thing, especially if you really go in and get the top talent that you can, regardless of if they're close to the major leagues or not from the assets that you have. Um, and just from everything that Dayton Moore said and really his, you know, his long history as a Royals GM, he's sort of done this sort of thing where he's been reluctant to maximize his window by trading the players that would help him maximize his window. I mean, that's just kind of frustrating. Um, And we'll see, right? It's only December. It's mid December. We don't have, you know, proper baseball for three and a half more months. Something could happen, but I don't really think it will. Well, I was wondering too, like, you know, they began this rebuild process and, you know, things have kind of changed a little bit. I mean, I think the, the, the 2018 draft class of pitchers has developed, I think, a lot faster than they anticipated. The other thing that's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's kind of developed is that every team is like tanking at the same time. And so, I don't know, do you think that there's maybe an argument that maybe they should zig where others zag and, and maybe say, okay, well, we've got we've got a couple, we've had these pitchers develop a little faster than, than we thought. We find Hunter Dozier pop up and become a solid player when we weren't expecting that. What Merrifield has become a four or five win player when we weren't expecting that, you know, maybe we actually do have a window here pretty soon. Um, and we can take advantage of this market where, and we'll talk about the Corey Kluber trader in a minute, but we'll talk, we'll take advantage of a market where some of these veteran players are getting dumped because simply because they're expensive um, and take advantage of that market. And now, and there's no indication that they're, this is what they're trying to do either, but um where they take a maybe win now approach, like you say, um, do you think that could be a successful approach if they were to go that route? I think, you know, perhaps, and I think, you know, I, I went through a number of different titles um, for this piece. Some of them were really negative and some of them were, you know, less so. 
Um, you know, just as an aside, writing titles is hard because there's a, a lot of people, you know, perhaps most of them who read the title of the piece and don't actually read the piece, but they'll talk about it. So you got to get the title, you know, correct. And I think, you know, going too negative on them is, is a little too harsh because, you know, as you said, the 2018 draft class has developed faster. I think there's something to be said for waiting this winter out seeing what happens in the spring, right? If Brady Singer and Jackson Coar and Daniel Lynch just light it up and immediately ascend to the majors and are pretty good, well, then you're in a position where you can sort of keep your guys. Um, and uh, especially if some of the other guys, um, you know, sort of have bounce back years, you know, and you get Kalili as well. That's, you know, four guys of your, four of your top prospects who can make the, their debuts within, you know, three or four months of the start of the season. The Royals are in a different position this time around in that they have like legitimate top prospects who are going to make their debut in 2020. So I think it's a decent strategy to just sort of sit and wait and see what you've got. And there are really sort of two possibilities. Either the Royals are, you know, better than they thought they would be, in which case, you know, that's great. Maybe they can try for a playoff push in 2021 or Dayton Moore has the information at his disposal to say, okay, it's not happening as fast as I thought it would. Let's continue to break down. So I do think that the Royals are in a bit of a limbo that they weren't last year at the same time. But at the same time, you know, to your point about trying to um, trying to succeed now, you, you can't really do that if you're going to keep your payroll at $80 million in, yeah. tw- in 2020. So something has to break, and that may happen, but it, it's if they're not going to spend and actively try to go for it, then they're, they're not really going that direction either. They're still just sort of sitting there. Yeah, and Seth Jarman had a piece uh, last week as well, uh, kind of praising the Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks, for kind of how they've gone about their rebuilding process. But, of course, like you say, one of the biggest differences is the the Diamondbacks just went out and signed Madison Baumgartner to a five-year, what, $80 million some deal. Royals aren't going to do that. I mean, they don't have the resources to really go out and – or at least – to do that as much as the Diamondbacks, they don't have. They probably aren't going to have a payroll as high as the Diamondbacks. So, Sean, you know, if the Royals maybe aren't going to follow the Diamondbacks model, who would you say are kind of the the, the model franchises or the model, I guess, rebuilds that they should kind of be looking to uh, to uh, replicate? I mean, I think the Astros did it pretty well, right? Uh, they didn't spend. They, I mean. Obviously, they gutted their payroll, um, which doesn't actually have to happen. But I think that they're still a model franchise for it. I want to say, now the Cubs, I feel like the Cubs supplemented their team with some signings like John Lester. Um, But, I mean, I still think the Astros are the standard. Um, They've obviously spent a little bit more since they were at the kind of depths of their rebuild. But, no, I, I think that they took the kind of scorched earth approach and obviously it's worked out and they've got all these kind of, you know, great younger players and they've still supplemented a bit with some signings and taking on like Verlander's contract and the like and Grinky's contract. Um, but I think, I think that's the model that the Royals could take as opposed to like the Cubs model. Yeah. What's interesting too, though, and I know I, we've, we've discussed this before, but you know, they, they used, they both took scorched earth approaches and there were some definite benefits from that. I mean, I think like the Cubs got Kyle or Chris Bryant uh, by drafting high. They've got Kyle Hendricks out of uh, I think by trading um, who's it uh, 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 was it Garza I think Matt Garza to the Rangers. Uh, you know, trading some of those trades did yield some good players. The Astros, 
obviously got Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa by dra- by drafting high, and those were kind of franchise players. Uh, but but a lot of the players, a lot of their organizational depth, it just came from being good at player acquisition, make having good drafts, signing good players out of the international market, identifying Jordan Alvarez from the Dodgers and making a minor trade for him. You know those kind of trades. Uh, can can make a big impact. And I look at a team like the Brewers who didn't take the scorched earth approach and did kind of just go about um, acquiring good players from other organization, getting, you know, taking advantage of Christian Yelich when he became on the, he, he went on to the market, uh, of the trade market. Um, they just went out and got good players. And I kind of feel like if the Royals, if they don't take the scorched earth approach, which it doesn't seem like they're doing, I think there still is a window for them to win but they're going to have to be a lot better at player evaluation. I mean, I you know, they can't miss on what three or four straight drafts the way they've done. Uh, now the 2018 draft, I think, is turning out to look like one of their best drafts I've seen in Royals history. You know, in the last decade, um, and we'll see. You know, we'll see once those guys actually make the big leagues if that actually ends up being true. But um, I do feel like if they were to just go out and get good players, they'd be they can they can kind of circumvent that scorched earth approach. The problem is that they're not they're not making a lot of moves at all. They're just kind of sitting back and waiting. And, and so I did. I think that that's I guess the aspect that kind of resonated with me with Matthew's piece is just you know I would like to see them at least moving in a direction, even if it's uh, you know even if it's trying to win now or if it's trying to win later. But just you know it's like the the meme where the guy's you know taking the stick and and you know, shoving the object you know do something. Uh, I you know I want to see the Royals do something. I'd like to see them being a little more proactive about rebuilding this franchise and so you know we'll see i you know, i think a lot of it will depend on this 2018 draft class and, and i think what happens this year but um certainly i'd like to see them be uh, take a little more action uh you know i mentioned that cory kluber trade um that was one of the big transactions after the winter meetings the cleveland indians who were a 93 win team last year they traded uh two-time cy young winner cory kluber to the rangers for reliever emmanuel Clase and uh outfielder delino de shields and uh, you know, sean <laughs> It just seemed like a terrible trade. What was your what was your uh, reaction to that? Yeah, I, mean, I think you saw my tweet. Whereas I was curious about if there's another player in the league named Corey Kluber that we were unaware of because, like, oh, it was it wasn't even close. And like, I think apparently there were some rumors about the Dodgers um, being somewhat in on Kluber. And like, even the guys, even if they didn't get like Gavin Lux, which was obviously too much, like there were several other guys. It sounded like the Dodgers were willing to offer for Kluber that just like the Indians basically rejected out of hand. Um, and even if you're incredibly bullish on class being like a really good reliever, even if he's like Wade Davis good, that's like two wins. And, and obviously that's the extreme outlier, him being Wade Davis good. That's like two-ish wins a year forever, forever long he's going to be good because we know relievers have fairly short shelf lives. Uh, they just have to be discount. I, I don't know. I was really stunned by it that, I mean, Kluber was hurt, obviously, but most of the season he missed because it was like a fractured arm from a ball coming back to him, I think. Um, and it, I don't I don't remember the other injury was, but I think he it was mostly just like a, a random accident. You know what I mean? Other than that, I mean, he's thrown 200 innings every single year um, since 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. So if you buy that this past year, him getting hit on the arm with a ball coming back to him was just a, a randomness, uh, then, you know, 
he's projected for three and a half wins next year. So you've really, really got to buy into um, the return that, that the, the Rangers gave up to, to even be close to that. And I just don't see how you get there. Yeah, he's still a year away from being uh, a 20-game winner, 2.89 ERA, led the league in innings. This is all 2019. There's a, a 3.9 win pitcher. I'm sorry, 5.9 win pitcher. Uh, that's, yeah. And last year he only made seven starts. And he wasn't terribly expensive, too. I mean, he's you got him under club control for the next uh, next year, and then he's, there's a club option after that. I think he's making like $14 million each year. So, yeah, it just seems uh, it seems crazy that he was available. And Clause A is a nice relief prospect, but he's a reliever. The Shields, I thought he was going to get non-tendered. I mean, he just seems like a yeah. fourth outfielder who just doesn't – isn't probably a guy that gets released in June. Uh, just really a stunning deal to me. Um, but, I, but I guess if – I guess if there's one team that's going to value relievers a lot, it's yeah. a Terry Francona team, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he can he can he can bring bring Clause in every uh, game in the middle of uh, every inning if he wants to. Yeah. Now. In the fourth inning. Yeah. Right. He's some random time. Yeah. I don't know, Matthew. What is the Kluber deal? It just seems like this is part of a kind of a troubling trend in baseball where we don't see teams maxing out and trying to win championships. I mean, the Indians won 93 games. They traded Kluber. They traded Trevor Bauer last summer. There, there's rumors they're going to trade Francisco Lindor. Uh, I don't know. Is this just is this just the Indians' mo? And also, remember John Sherman's coming over from Cleveland, and he's talked about having a sustainable winner. And part of sus- having a sustainable winner is kind of trading your guys before they decline. So is this kind of what we should expect uh, with with Sherman in Kansas City? Yeah, I think there are you know a couple of different levels to this. I think you know whether or not the the Indians are smart to do this and what the return is and what it means to the Royals. Um, Craig Edwards wrote a piece today at Fangraphs that I thought was pretty good. And basically it said that the return that they got for Corey Kluber, um, or it argued that the return that they got for Corey Kluber wasn't really super far off, you know, what his actual value was when you take into consideration that he's making, um, Seventeen and a half million dollars in twenty, and then another eighteen in twenty twenty one. Even if you get that option, um, but the problem was really that the Indians traded him when his value was at his lowest. Right? They traded him before they could show that Corey Kluber was, you know, that Corey Kluber, the Cy Young winner. Instead of you know holding on to him. And, you know, trying to get enough, give it another go, they just decided to trade him at his lowest because it was more convenient to save money than get a good return. And, you know, it just really sucks for Cleveland fans. I have a good friend who's a Indians fan. I haven't even asked him about it yet. I'm too scared to ask him about it yet. Um, I just I just don't want to make him sad, sadder than it already is with the Cavs and the Browns. It's just a sad, sad city right now in sports. But, but um as for what it means to the Royals, I think it's in a kind of a perverse way, maybe not perverse, but kind of in a, an interesting way. It's a like good news for the Royals because the Indians have been doing this sort of thing for years. And you wonder, oh, maybe this is John Sherman's influence or maybe John Sherman is a voice in the um, decision you know, room regarding this. But John Sherman's not there anymore. And the Indians are still doing this. So I think that it's really hard to tell and probably not likely that, you know, Sherman's going to do this to the Royals because he left and the Indians are continuing to do this, you know, payroll 
burned to the ground thing. So yeah. I think that I think that's a kind of a good news. I mean, it's it's at least not bad news, which you know is <laughs> counts as good news, I think, for the Royals. Yeah, I think Ray Rainey just early made that same point as well. Is like, hey, this is this is evidence that this is a Cleveland thing and not necessarily a John Sherman thing. And we'll, we'll see, you know, maybe if he, he carries over those tendencies to Kansas City as well. Um, and look, the Indians have been a well-run team, and maybe they know something about Kluber that we don't, and this trade will make more sense in a couple of years. But certainly a head-scratching move. But like as you say, it's a rival getting worse, so that's probably a good thing for the Royals. Uh, we'll wrap things up with our Royals review. Review. Uh, you know, this is our article or a story or TV uh, TV show or or restaurant in town that we've uh, we want to mention on the on the podcast. So hey, so uh, so Matthew, what do you have for us tonight? Yeah. So um, two sort of smaller things. First thing is that the um, there's a little movie that's um, about space or something. I think it's Star Wars. It's coming out. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, if you heard of Star Wars. Um, it's coming out. It's going to be the last sort of movie in the whole nine-episode arc, um, you know, uh, with Luke Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker and, you know, whatnot. I'm really interested to see what they do with it, but also at the, at the same time, I'm, like, not – like super looking forward to it. No, like I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not like sitting on the edge of my seat going, Oh man, I wish it was, it was time for me to see the star war. Um, which is kind of really never happened to me before. So that's really weird. And it could go on for a long time about that. Um, but one other thing that I wanted to just point out was I absolutely love it when there is a reporter or something that reports something regarding your team and you just know that it's going to be the opposite. <laughs> this happened today with uh, Terrell Suggs, and you know we'll 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 see. So the uh, the Chiefs claimed uh, Terrell Suggs on on waivers, and Jason Lockenfora said that noted not, Royals hater, Jason noted Lockenfora. Royals hater, yeah, would not anticipate Terrell Suggs reporting to the Chiefs. Therese Paler, who is you know, one of the guys that if he says it, it you know, it is, he has spoken, um, says the exact opposite at the moment. His understanding is that Terrell Suggs will report to the Chiefs. So I just love it well, whenever we well, well, One step further, Sam McDowell of the Kansas City Star has reported that uh, Terrell Suggs has already informed the Chiefs he will report. So. It's it's just the best. And I, I don't know how it like happens, but there's, there's one person on every team, every sports team, you know, with, you know, with these an amount of reporters who is just always wrong or at least wrong, like way too often. And it's always funny when this sort of things happens. What'd you say? I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Terrell Suggs is a chief, uh, but Jason Lockenfora will not. It's not. It's not gonna. He's not gonna. Uh, uh, what's the word? He's not gonna recognize it. Uh, Sean, what do you have for tonight? Yeah. So I guess there's a chance maybe we'll podcast one more time for the year ends. But if not, um, I've got my top. So uh, top five is usually the go-to movies, but I only could come up with four. Um, so in and this is in no order. I've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think is. I really love Jackie Brown, but I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood might be Tarantino's best movie. I know that's fairly hot take, but it's a really freaking good movie. Um, next up, uh, Midsommar. Midsummer, Midsommar, however it might be pronounced. Um, really, really weird movie. I didn't like um, Hereditary, 
the the director's film before this, but I did really like Summer. Uh, and then Ad Astra, a little uh, terrific space movie. Uh, Brad Pitt is really awesome in it. Tommy Lee Jones, incredible movie. One of my favorite movies of all time, even. Um, and then the rounded out was The Report. Uh, just came out recently on uh, whatever it is, Prime Video. Uh, Adam Driver, John Hamm, uh, pretty pretty good thing about um, the whatever it is called, the Torture Report, which came out uh, based off of post 9/11 stuff. So I think those are my top four films. Does anybody anybody like any of those four? Any of you guys? I've not seen any of them. Most of the movies we've seen this year have been Pixar films. However, I will say we did last week get to go out. My wife and I, we got a rare date night, and we did see a movie that was for adults, and we really enjoyed it. It was Knives Out, which I believe you saw as well. Yeah, I enjoyed. I saw uh, and that. Was, and that was kind of – actually was what I was going to bring up tonight uh, for the Royals Review. Um, it, it just was like – it was you know, it wasn't like super great. Like I'll remember it for years and years, but it was like that was an enjoyable two hours – and it yeah. didn't. It didn't have it. It didn't really have anything to say. It didn't. It's you know there wasn't like some great great life mystery to figure out. Uh, it was just a nice little. You know, it wasn't like a big budget action movie. It was just a nice little movie that I enjoyed the two hours of. I probably haven't thought about it since then, other than the fact that I liked it. But I just I wish there were more movies like that where I don't feel like I have to like know the backstory or you know watch, uh, you know figure out and go to Wikipedia to figure out who the characters. It's just like. I like those, you know, just every once in a while I like that kind of a movie uh, and just sit and enjoy it. So Knives Out was the best movie yeah, I saw this year. I like Knives Out. Um, I didn't like it. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but I didn't like how early, how how they, how the plot, uh, they, how they gave the, the whodunit, the murder, how they gave it away so quick. You mm-hmm. go, oh, like, you know, 30 minutes in the film, you know who did it, which kind of stinks. Because I was thinking it'd be like a really classic whodunit like uh, like Clue was where mm-hmm. they piece all this evidence together and you find it at the end. Now, it still does kind of have a twist ending, but I don't know. I-, I enjoyed it, but I really was thinking it'd be kind of a really good, long, slow-roasting kind of evidence-based movie. And it was like, oh, 30 minutes in, we find out who does it. It's like, oh, man. So... Matthew, did you have, did you want to comment on any of those movies or did you have a, did you have a best movie of twenty nineteen, Matt? You know, it's been it's been kind of a, a light year from for movies this year. Um, yeah, I, Toy Story came out. You're right. It's been a very Buzz Lightyear movie. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, I have seen five movies this year. I don't, and like none of them. Well, none of them really impacted me. You know, huge amount. Uh, I saw yesterday, which the more time that I that I look back on it, the the less I like it. Um, the Lego Movie Two, which was which was fine. I you know I think maybe my most surprising movie of the year was that Detective Pikachu was was pretty fun, and I didn't think that that was a thing, but uh, or that I didn't think that was going to be a thing. But was was the Spider Man into the Spider Verse this year? No, it was last year, was and it was my year. it was my favorite. Yeah, that was movie that was last one of the movies I saw. Yeah, no, like, it was great. People, what, what movie you guys? Ah, anyway, that was great. It's got yeah. it's got great soundtrack. No, no, too. that was good. I was just thinking of Frozen Two. I just all the stuff you guys have seen this year. It's, <laughs> I know Max has got kids, so it's kind of like ah, uh, you know, he's kind of forcing that he can't just go watch Quentin Tarantino movies every night. But Matt, come on, man. You, I have, I don't know where you picked it up. I haven't seen Frozen Two. Oh, I was just thinking of uh, the <laughs> kind of spy. yesterday. Spy and what was the other one that you saw? 
Lego Movie 2? Lego. Okay, so same thing as Frozen 2. Anyways. <laughs> same thing. Yeah, so yeah, so since, since uh, that my my I guess review kind of got co-opted I guess by the by Sean's uh, I did want to bring up something I, that I did, it was a tweet and I can't remember where I saw the tweet but it was a uh, it was about the Mandalorian which I I've been really into the you know Matthew you mentioned like the Star Wars movie and I'm kind of with you I'm not like super you know I'm gonna watch it probably this weekend but I'm not like super anticipating the the final movie of the Star Wars trilogy. But I do find myself really anticipating every week of The Mandalorian, and I think I kind of figured out this week why I like it so much more than the prequels and the the the, the, the continuing trilogy. And it's because it's it it's just it's kind of what I said about Knives Out. It's it's just fun for like forty minutes, and it doesn't have any deeper meaning about you know uh, Jedi's or the Force or you know any of the other themes of that you know the prequels or the the later movies. Have, the sequels have it's just you know it's a nice western where there's a lot of action and there's like a lot of cool weapons and a lot of cool toys and a lot of cool characters and that's it and that's and i was watching the original uh trilogy this week because they're running a marathon on it on tbs and i'm like that's kind of what was great about the original series and i think the prequels and sequels kind of took themselves too seriously and are like well we have to you know show why this happened and and, uh, you know, it has to have greater meaning. And it's like, well, it's just, you know, the original plan for, for George Lucas was just to have, make a silly kind of movie based off those Buck Rogers uh, serials. And, um, no, it's uh, Flash Gordon. I'm sorry, Flash Gordon serials. And kind of the, the early the early trilogy does that. And it kind of, they kind of lost their way eventually. But the Mandalorian, I think, gets kind of back to that. And why it's, that's why it's been a lot of fun to watch with my kids. And um, so I, and that and Baby Yoda, I mean, you got you to gotta be... You gotta be for the baby Yoda, so I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I don't know if I'm not making a conscious decision to not watch The Mandalorian, but um, I don't know. I just I'm so out on Star Wars stuff because I just have never the nostalgia of it just has never grabbed me. And I've seen most of them, but it just I don't know. I, I feel like. Do you think that you have to be into the Star Wars universe a bit at least to watch The Mandalorian? At least to maybe enjoy it for what it's supposed to be. Yeah, probably. But I think if you like kind of western the western motif i mean there's a lot of that theme going through it uh and like i mean like i kind of tweeted out i think two weeks ago it was just like it was basically an a-team episode you know in star wars land like he's just helping out the locals so i don't know it's just to me it's just a lot of fun like i don't you don't you don't have to know anything about the the you don't have to have watched the movie to understand what's going on but uh certainly i think it's there to like resonate with people that have been fans of the the entire universe so and it and it fits into like a movie of the week kind of mold. Yeah. Oh yeah, or, or yeah, villain yeah. of the week, right? Yeah, it's kind of nice in that there's not there is a there is an overarching story, but it's not they're not that committed to it. And I don't know, it's just kind of it's kind of refreshing just to have like a an old fashioned TV serial where like each week you know crazy hijinks they get into another wacky adventure and uh, you know it doesn't tie into some larger meaning or anything like that. So. Well, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, you can always visit our site at royalsreview.com and follow us on Twitter at Royals Review. Thanks to Sean and Matthew for being on tonight, and thanks to our readers and listeners for giving us a follow. Talk to you next time. Hey!